Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain on limited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. everybody it is wednesday march 8th 2023 welcome to the nfl fantasy football podcast where we're willing to make lamar jackson an offer to me your man mg marcus grant joined by michael f florio and we're in studio again so that means we got some specialists over there on the other side Yay! always appreciate you guys hanging out with us i always appreciate you guys listening we got plenty to talk about florio uh, you know, the combine just ended free agency starts in exactly a week so I feel like we haven't even had a chance to catch a breath yet at this point. No, everyone. I mean, I'm sure you get this as well all the time. People are like, so what do you do nowadays that, that the season's <laughs> over? I'm like, well, there's still plenty of stuff keeping us busy right now between the combine, free agency, the draft. After the draft, you get to breathe. A little you get bit, to breathe but. a little bit. I keep telling people who, who aren't involved in this that the NFL offseason nowadays is like six weeks long. It's pretty much <laughs> from June 1st till about July 15th. You get past you know, May or whatever. You have you know, rookie mini camps and stuff. June, things sort of slow down. And then July 15th is about when training camps start to open so that's six weeks uh for those of us who work here that you know that that is the time when everybody flees from NFL media they try to <laughs> take vacations and get out of town for a little bit to sort of recharge for uh for the rest of the season we got a lot to talk about because there's been a ton of news that's happened since we last talked to you. Of course, the Combine took place in Indianapolis over the weekend. We'll dive into that a little bit. Plus, we'll finish our look at free agency. As I mentioned, that starts in a week. We'll take a look at the pass catchers, wide receivers, and tight ends. I'm going to be honest with you. There's a lot of names out there, but not a lot of them that are necessarily going to be of immediate fantasy relevance. So we'll take more of a holistic look at the wide receiver tight end position as opposed to diving into necessarily a whole bunch of individual names. On the flip side, it means we are sort of shelving Florio's Film Festival for a couple of weeks. We got plenty of news to talk about today. Next week, we will have a show later in the week for you because of free agency, where we'll try to catch up on a lot of the signings that have happened and what that means for fantasy relevance. So if you were interested and excited about hearing us talk about face-off, I apologize. We'll wait a couple of weeks, and we'll get back to John Travolta and Nicolas Cage shooting at each <laughs> other in the middle of Griffith Park. Uh, that will happen very soon, so hold your horses. We will get to that. But let's start with a whole bunch of news headlines. 
We do have a little bit of free agent movement already, even though the period hasn't officially opened yet. The Saints and Derek Carr have agreed on a four-year deal. I say agreed on because it can't be signed officially until the new league year opens. But we knew Derek Carr was going to go somewhere after the Raiders decided to move on from him. And he gets the bag from New Orleans. Uh, $150 million for four years, $100 million in guarantees. Let's just first off, let's just talk about this from a an actual football perspective, because the NFC South is wide open. Yes, the Bucks ended up winning it because somebody had to win it last year. But does this make the Saints the favorite at this point to to win the NFC South in 2023? As of right now, I, I would say I, I think so. Yes, Um there's a move that the Atlanta Falcons could make if they really wanted to change that. But <laughs> they we're said gonna... they're not, but we'll get into that. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, I, I think I think Derek Carr is the best quarterback in that division. I think he gives them the best chance as of now to win that division. That's kind of where I think it stops for them. Like Derek Carr hasn't won a playoff game in his career. Uh, I maybe he could get a, like a like a playoff win. It, it's funny because with these quarterbacks, for a real life perspective, not for fantasy. I use Jameis Winston as like the barometer and mm-hmm. Jameis, it, it works out perfectly here because he was the Saints quarterback. <laughs> um, my comparison is always like, would I want to give Derek Carr all of that money or would I rather sign Jameis Winston for a one year deal and reinvest that capital? And I kind of think I'd rather go the second route here. Hmm. Um, it's the same thing with other quarterbacks that we may talk about, but I, I think Derek Carr is an upgrade from what they had, but I'm not sure if he's an upgrade that's worth almost $40 million a year. That's sort of the issue, is that is it is it about Derek Carr or is it Derek Carr at the money you have to pay him? And let me preface it by saying this. I have been very open about the fact that I'm always going to be on the player's side. Go out and get what yeah. you can. Get your money when and where you can. So I'm not upset at Derek Carr for going out and getting this deal. But for the Saints, you are already well over the salary cap already. Uh, you got to make a lot of moves to sort of get under that. Free agency hasn't started yet. They went into last season with one of the oldest rosters in the league. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're a bad team, but they are an old team. And they do have yeah. to get younger at some point if they want to be competitive. It feels like they're sort of putting themselves in football purgatory, where they're going to be good enough to make a run at the playoffs, to win the division, maybe make a run at the playoffs, but they're nowhere near good enough to go and win a title, right? When you're in the NFC and maybe it's not as loaded as the AFC, but you still got the Eagles, still got the 49ers, you've got the Dallas Cowboys, you've got a lot of good teams that you are not better than right now, and you've sort of handcuffed yourself in terms of roster building. That's sort of the part that, I think would be frustrating to me if I was a Saints fan. You were playing to just be good enough, and that leaves you in a situation where you never really get better. You're just kind of floating out there at this point. Which is why I use the the Jameis thing mm-hmm. because like that's a one year short commitment. You could eat. I, I like. I there is something to be said for a team like the Saints consistently trying to compete and go for it. And if you're a fan, you have to appreciate that. Like, hey, they're they're always going for it. But if I ran an NFL team. My approach at quarterback would be if we don't have one that I feel confident to give a franchise deal with, I'm just going to keep churning and burning until I find one. Which, you know, we've seen the Colts kind of do the last couple of years. <laughs> and at some point, you wonder whether or not the Saints decide to make that move. Obviously, it's not going to be in the next couple of years. Uh, we'll see how long they decide to ride with, with Derek Carr and what this means for them on the field. Fantasy-wise, 
Carr has been, for most of his career, a guy who is sort of a high-end QB2 with occasional QB1 outbursts. Does a move from Las Vegas to New Orleans change any of that? Nope. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I am not any more interested in drafting Derek Carr now than I was when he was a Raider. Um, what I think this impacts is the pieces around him even more. Mm-hmm. Um, but for just fantasy, I still think Derek Carr is a QB two. Uh, he's one that doesn't give you really much at all with his legs. So like you said, occasionally he'll have a, a QB one week, but at the end of the year, I feel pretty confident that he'll be a high end QB two. I'm kind of with you on that. I don't think anything changes for him. I think the guys who get a boost, Chris Olave is number one on that list of guys who get a boost because this is a guy who was playing well last year with a hodgepodge of quarterbacks there in New Orleans, still found a way to be productive, was Mr. Air Yards early in the season. So I think getting Derek Carr and getting that stability and getting that upgrade definitely helps him. But there are questions. I mean, Alvin Kamara is facing legal issues that might keep him off the field for who knows how long. I know Michael Thomas was tweeting, you know, thank you, Jesus, with prayer hands after (laughs) Derek Carr signed. But there are questions about whether they keep him around. I mean, this is a guy who's been beat up the last couple of years, has a a decent salary, is getting a little bit older. They very well could move on from him. This is an offense that doesn't really seem to have a great outlook right now. Yeah, and in fact, I'm of the mindset that, like, I would be shocked if Michael Thomas is a member of the Saints next year. Like, it just seems to me like that that relationship has kind of ran its course. Maybe Derek Carr coming there changes things for him, but he hasn't been very happy. He hasn't been on the field as of late. To me, I think the biggest winner is, like you said, Chris Olave, because everyone could point that Andy Dalton played well last year, and he did, but he didn't really throw the ball downfield much at all. And in fact, most of his passes were under 10 air yards, not even in the intermediate part of the passing game. So a lot of just short, quick dump offs. It's why like Jawan Johnson became such a thing down the stretch. But Chris Olave's numbers clearly got worse when he didn't have a Jameis Winston. So to me, I think Derek Carr could kind of be a blend of what each of those quarterbacks brings. And and I think the same thing for like Alvin Kamara. Andy Dalton last year threw 21% of his passes in the backfield. Winston was at 13 you bring in Derek Carr now, who's at 19, and you're like, all right, he's going to play the whole year. I think that's a good case for Alvin Kamara, as long as Alvin Kamara is able to play with the legal issues aside. Um, but I think Alave is the biggest winner because we've seen Derek Carr uh, been able to really lift receivers, especially the field-stretching receivers. Like, Devontae Adams still played, put up great numbers last season. Uh, we've seen Amari Cooper do it. So I, I think Olave is the biggest winner. Absolutely. So... Curious to see what the Saints do in the offseason, what what they attack in free agency, how they handle the draft, because I don't think they're done building. The question is, how do they do it when they're already up against it in terms of the salary cap? The other big news quarterback wise, there's actually a few other headlines quarterback wise, but maybe the biggest one of the last 24 hours or so. The Baltimore Ravens placed the non-exclusive franchise tag on Lamar Jackson. This means that Lamar is free to negotiate with other teams if he can come to a deal. Now, if another team signs him, that means they have to give the Ravens two first-round picks. So there is a little bit more involved than just money when it comes to signing Lamar Jackson if you are a non-Ravens team. Uh, The interesting part about this maybe has been the number of teams that immediately said, you know what, we're out. We're completely out on Lamar Jackson. I mean, the, the Falcons may be being chief among them. I, I'm not, I was not guaranteeing that he would end up in Atlanta, but I really thought that Atlanta was going to make 
a concerted effort to try to bring him in, especially after they moved on from Marcus Mariota. Um, what does this mean? I mean, do you expect that Lamar Jackson is going to end up in Baltimore or is there still a chance he goes somewhere else? Uh, right now, it feels like the league and, and everyone is kind of trying to handcuff him to Baltimore because all of these teams coming out immediately and saying we have no interest in a former MVP who is hitting the market at 26 years old makes absolutely no sense to me. Right. Um, but that just kind of gives all the power to the Ravens. But there's one dark horse team out there that I think could still get involved. And way back a couple months ago when we talked about like landing spots, the Falcons, we both agreed were a great one. Mm -hmm. The other one I said was Miami. And I still think Miami could be in play here. They have not come. I don't believe they're one of the teams that said they're not interested in Lamar. Um, there already has been rumors that if Brady decides he wants to keep playing again, that is where he wants to go. Which is he's saying he's done. He's saying, he's that saying that's that. all bonk. But there's still like, you know, there's always rumors when Tom Brady wants to <laughs> right. potentially come back. But Miami, as much as I like Tua, I think if they could get a Lamar Jackson who's from Miami, who has made it clear he would love to play with Tyreek Hill and who's Tyreek Hill and them have made it clear he they would love to play with him. Uh, I think that could be a, a marriage that makes sense, especially because they're already like, we don't have a first round pick this year. Who cares? Like, uh, <laughs> but I, I don't get I, the, the fact that no one wants Lamar Jackson makes absolutely no sense. None, me. none. And it's it's not even. It's like teams haven't even tried, right? It's, yep. it's that the, the the Ravens put the tag on him and teams just decided, you know what, we're, we're out. We're, and I know a lot of fans, this has been raging on Twitter for the last 24 hours or so, and there's a school of thought of, well, it's because he wants a fully guaranteed contract. It's like, all right, it's good to want things. It's, it's almost like people don't understand how negotiations work. You throw out, I want A as an offer. The other team comes back and says, we're willing to offer you X. And then you work your way to a number that is a, that is acceptable to both sides. Yes, he might want a fully guaranteed contract. I get it. Teams don't want to do that. By the way, thanks, Cleveland Browns, for screwing this up for everybody. He, he, Lamar is paying for the sins of the Cleveland Browns. He absolutely is right now. But at some point, you would think these teams, many of whom need a quarterback, would want to sit down and at least – talk numbers with him and see if there's an opening to come to an agreement. The fact that so many teams have immediately just said, uh, to hell with it, we're not going to do it, that is a head-scratcher. I mean, it's got J.J. Watt out here tweeting about, you know, what the hell's going on. <laughs> sort of and, situation. And, like, I mean, people love to just make stuff up. Like, oh, he can't stay healthy because he runs, except for the fact that his injuries have come on passing plays because <laughs> the O-line couldn't block for him. And then, oh, his passing numbers took a, a dip. I'm not going to say they haven't, but let's see what you guys have, what the Ravens have done to help things around Lamar Jackson. They have Mark Andrews, who's a very good tight end. He's not like a Travis Kelsey, Rob Gronkowski, you know, build your whole offense around him type of tight Very, very good. But he's not the best of the best at that position. Then they had Marquise Brown, who really fit with Lamar Jackson. They were childhood friends. They traded him. They drafted Rashad Bateman in the first round. He hasn't been able to stay on the field. And besides that... They're throwing out guys like Willie Sneed and Demarcus Robinson and uh, who's who of guys off of the street for the entire tenure uh, of Lamar Jackson. I don't understand it. They've spent the fewest or, or near the fewest amount of money on offense since they've had him. And there's he still averages the second most points per game, not fantasy. Second, the Ravens average the second most points per game in the NFL since he's become the starter. Yeah, Rashad Bateman was none too happy on social media about a week ago. The tweet was deleted. He deleted the tweet, but 
I think he failed to remember that the internet is rented, written in ink. People have screenshotted it. It's floating around if you want to see it. So we'll keep an eye on that. We'll see what happens with Lamar. At the moment, it is trending toward him staying in Baltimore. But stay tuned. Somebody else could swoop in with a good offer. Speaking of offers, the Giants have agreed on a four-year extension with Daniel Jones in the neighborhood of about $40 million per year. That's the initial sort of math on it. We'll see what happens when we get to all the little ifs, ands, and buts about uh, the contract and the clauses there. But either way, the Giants are throwing the bag at Daniel Jones after he put together a career year. So it's a career year for Daniel Jones, right? We're, yep. we're not looking at this and saying, yeah, man, this is Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts type numbers. These are, hey, man, that was really good for Daniel Jones. How much better can he really get? And are the Giants sort of putting themselves in that football purgatory that we talked about with the Saints? A hundred percent. I tweeted it out yesterday and I'm like you, Marcus, I... I might not think a player, I might be like, hey, if I was that team, I wouldn't have given Daniel Jones $40 million a year. But congrats, like, I'm always happy for players when they get paid. Like, good for you, Danny Dimes. I hope you took all your, your O-linemen and everyone out like, and had a great time last night. Um, this is a lot of money for a quarterback who in three straight years has played more games than he has touchdown passes. Uh, this is a lot of money for a quarterback in the last three years who's averaged 12 passing touchdowns per game and who... Career year was 3,200 passing yards. Yeah, like, yes, he ran a lot more this year, 700 rushing yards, seven touchdowns. Like, that is really useful. That's when we start talking about, you know, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. Like, th those are the only other quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts, that really can give you that kind of numbers with their legs. But I need more out of Danny Dimes, I think, if now if I'm paying him this much. And the issue is, like, someone tweeted me yesterday, and they were like, well... How can you say that the Giants, because I tweeted, I said the ceiling still feels like it's a playoff win. Like if they Giants do that next year, that probably feels like the best case scenario for them. People were like, yeah, well, they need to upgrade cornerback and O-line and receivers. Like he did it with nothing last year. And I'm like, well, that becomes so much harder now <laughs> right. when you're giving Daniel Jones $40 million a year with incentives. Like, so I, I think for him. He could get better if they get better playmakers around him and he could be a better fantasy asset. But for real life purposes, I feel like the Giants kind of maxed out last season. It does feel that way. And you're right. They do need help in so many other places and they've made it that much more difficult by committing so much money to Daniel Jones. I mean, I guess that was sort of the going rate, or at least they felt like that was the going rate to keep him around there. And again, look, go get your money, Daniel Jones. But for the Giants, you've got to put yourself in a situation where... You are going to be what you have been. They have the misfortune of playing in the same division as the defending NFC champion and the Dallas Cowboys who, you know, look, they, they won 12 games last year and they're a very good team as well. So best case scenario, you're still the number three team in your own division yeah. and you're sort of hoping things break for you to get into the play. I mean, you needed help to get into the playoffs last year. Could be the case again this year. Daniel Jones is going to get paid, and good for him. The Giants are going to continue to sort of be mid, I think, in the meantime. Which gets us to a whole bunch of running back news. A couple of those guys playing in the NFC East. A few franchise tags handed out. The Cowboys tag Tony Pollard. The Raiders tag Josh Jacobs. And the Giants tag Saquon. That news came out as soon as the Daniel Jones <laughs> extension came out. It was pretty much followed by, and the Giants are going to tag Saquon. So of those three guys, Pollard, Jacobs, Barkley, 
Which one are you most likely to draft highest next year in fantasy? I think there's a case to be made that all three of them are not maybe not first round picks just yet, but they all could be first round picks when all is said and done. At the very least, they should all be in the first two rounds. Mm -hmm. I'd go Saquon Jacobs Pollard as of now, but that could completely flip. Um, I, I want to know who the quarterback for the Raiders are going to be. I think Josh Jacobs is a really good running back, but so much. Obviously, the offense is going to be so much impacted by who his quarterback is. Like if they bring in Jimmy G and that leads to a lot of dump offs for Josh Jacobs, I could see myself moving him ahead of Saquon. And Tony Pollard is all dictated on what the Cowboys now do with Zeke yeah. because Zeke is set to be the highest cap hit uh, at the running back position. And now you already are franchising and giving Tony Pollard $10 million a year now. So do they let Zeke walk? Do they restructure with him? I'm not sure. Um, but obviously, if Zeke leaves, then Tony, it's to the moon for Tony Pollard. I might go Jacobs number one out of this group. But, but you're right. The quarterback situation will dictate a lot. If the Raiders, if they don't make a big move, if they don't, if they don't somehow get Aaron Rodgers, who I guess now has permission to talk to the Jets, if they don't somehow swing a deal for Lamar Jackson, um, I don't know, maybe it is Jimmy G in their future. But if they don't look like a team that can score a lot of points, I, then that certainly is going to hurt Jacobs' overall uh, possibilities. Uh, you know, I like Saquon. I, I was thrilled. You know, I, I kept saying talking about the Saquonissance last year, but it also sort of felt like he worked a lot on volume and not necessarily explosiveness last season. That sort of works against him. And Pollard, I would love to put number one. But as you mentioned, it really is about what happens with Zeke. Contract aside with Elliott, if he just comes back, if they work something out and everybody's happy and Zeke comes back, what is Pollard's ceiling in that point? Um, with with Zeke or without yeah, Zeke? With Zeke. With Zeke, I think it's probably similar to what it was this past year where he was the RB8 and did so on just over 200 touches. If Zeke leaves, I, I would be okay ranking him as high as the RB3 overall behind Eckler and CMC. I think the upside is that high. Um, but if Zeke is there, I think it's top 10 running back, but like RB8 around where he was last year. But I wouldn't be as comfortable drafting him as like the RB8 off the board, if that makes sense. No, that makes sense. I mean, I, I, I think you're talking about basically what his ceiling is as opposed to kind of the week-to-week -week sort yeah, of thing, yeah. right? You're, you would be drafting him kind of expecting the week-to-week -to, -week to be maybe a low-end uh, running back one, maybe a high-end RB2, but the ceiling is definitely squarely in that RB1 tier. We've seen that with his ability as a pass catcher, the fact that right now he is way more explosive than Ezekiel Elliott. So I totally understand that. So we, I think, are sort of sitting on pins and needles waiting to see what Jerry Jones is going to do. I'll tell you what, right now, they have a lot of money tied up in that backfield. Between, oh, yeah. Between tagging Pollard, right now having Zeke on his contract, and what they've got with uh, with uh, Dak Prescott, they got a lot of money tied up in just those three guys. And and it was, I saw it on my timeline the other day. I was reminded that basically Jerry Jones picked Zeke over Amari Cooper. Yep. And it's like right now you could really use Amari Cooper in that offense. They picked Zeke over Amari Cooper, and now there's you know rumors that maybe they go out and try to trade for a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, or they try to make a splash in free agency at, at wide receiver. Uh, it's like you, you had a guy <laughs> right there. He was right there. You decided you didn't want him anymore. Um, so good luck with that. We'll see what happens, but you know, I can guarantee you one thing. The Cowboys fans will celebrate a championship in April 
like seems to happen <laughs> so many times. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get some nasty mentions about that. Whatever, don't care. Um, some other kind of interesting rumors there going on in Tennessee that the Titans might be shopping Derrick Henry around. They traded away AJ Brown last year. Now they might be moving Derrick Henry. What what will this offense look like if we're talking about Ryan Tannehill throwing to Traylon Burks? I mean, there's there's nothing exciting about that. Washed as all washed. <laughs> like like the Tennessee Titans are they're paying for all like you know they had a good run for a couple of years, but so many cap casualties. Taylor Lewan, Robert Woods, uh, Bud Dupree might be cut as mm-hmm. well. Like so many big names that they had to let go. And you look at uh at Derrick Henry, he's owed $10.5 million this year, and then that's it. Like, he becomes a free agent. So I, I I think right now Derrick Henry would be a very appealing asset for another team. Even though, obviously, he's a running back. You're not in, in an aging one at that. At 29 years old this year, you're not going to get more than, like, a third or fourth round pick at best. 29 years old with a lot of wear and tear. Yeah. So, like, part of me is, like, I understand the narrative. Like, let's get rid of him. Let's get what we can for him. But the other part of me is, like... Is a mid-round pick really worth getting rid of the face of your franchise? And it's not like he, he, if they had if it was like a Zeke Elliott type contract and they were like, let's just get rid of it. I'd understand. But it's not. So I talk about him having a lot of wear and tear at 29 years old. I went back to 2019, which is really the start of maybe this really great run that he's been on. He has the most carries of anyone in the league, and it's not close. I mean, it's. It's about 200 carries, almost wow. 200 carries difference between him and the next closest player, who I believe, if I remember right, is Nick Chubb, I think. But it's or uh, Dalvin Cook, actually. But it, okay. it's not close at all. And you look at the Titans this past year in their running game. Derrick Henry had 349 carries. The next closest was Ryan Tannehill at 34. That's <laughs> 10 times as 34. many. 34. <laughs> Literally, Derrick Henry had 10 times as many carries as the next closest player on that team. He is their running game. So let's just say they move on from him. Is there a there's there's no Titans running back that we can think to target no, at this not point? Not on the roster, right? It, it, it the one thing which I don't think helps their case for moving Derrick Henry. It would make it easier to replace him. Is it's a, even with the big three names getting franchised, there's still a lot of depth at running back available in free agency, and there's a deep draft class coming in. But that makes it even harder to get a lot, like a lot of compensation for him because teams are going to be like, I can give you something for Derrick Henry, or I could sign a Kareem Hunt. Obviously, there's a big talent difference there, but like, it's just like running back is the position that always the talent gets downgraded the most. So It really does. And so all I can think, I'm just looking, I mean, free agency, we, we talked about a lot of guys that are out there that could really be game changers and come at, a, I think, a reasonable uh, price tag. They've got the number one, uh, they got the, the 11th pick overall in the first round. You're not going to take a running back that early. It just no. doesn't make sense. Maybe round two. They you know, pick number forty-one. That's what the ninth pick, eighth pick in the uh, ninth pick in the second round. Thirty-one picks this year. So yeah, like the ninth or tenth. So something, something like that. Like, but anyway, yeah. it, it seems reasonable. Maybe you reach for a running back at that point. Uh, Bijan Robinson's going to be gone. Yeah. I, I can't imagine he's going to be there. Maybe a guy like Jameer Gibbs uh, is still floating around there. So maybe it's something they do in the draft. But you're talking about a team that has been fairly consistent, had a nice run at the playoffs, but now is going to look 
potentially very, very different if indeed they do make the move to get rid of Derrick Henry. Last bit of news. Calvin Ridley has been fully reinstated by the NFL. In fact, as we've been recording this, I see that he put out a piece uh, kind of apologizing, uh, I think, in the Athletes Athletes Journal. Uh, I can't remember. But uh, Players Tribune, that's what it is. Uh, you know, gambling on football was maybe the worst mistake I could make and really sort of owning it, taking responsibility, and just apologizing for that. So he's back. The Jaguars essentially get a free agent without having to put out a whole lot for it. Um, what are your expectations, though, for a guy that hasn't played football in, you know, be more than a calendar year by the time he steps on the field? I think he'll be their wide receiver one. Like, I I, I really do believe in the talent of Calvin Ridley that much. Um, and kudos to to the Jaguars for having the, the wherewithal to be like, this is a bad free agent class and a bad draft class. We're going to give up. They gave up a fifth rounder this year and a second rounder next year to get Calvin Ridley. I think that's a great trade for them. Um, But while I think he'll be their most productive receiver, this offense to me really feels like one that I'm going to want Trevor Lawrence, but not so much the pass catchers because week to week, I mean, there's Calvin Ridley, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram, and then there's Travis Etienne who could be involved in the passing game as well. I, I could see it being one of those offenses where week to week, we truly don't know who's going to be the top producer. Ridley being the best field stretcher and a good red zone presence is why I like him the most. Um, but I could see that it, one week Ridley, one week Kirk, one week Ingram. And then that's why you want Trevor Lawrence because he's the benefactor of all of it. That I think that's going to be the consensus here. Although I, I think... People are still excited about Ridley, and I feel like right now, you know, the early chatter is that he's coming off the board fourth or fifth round in a lot of drafts. So people, I think, still have high hopes for him. The last time he played an NFL game, October 24th of 2021, week six of that season. So it will have been almost two full years by the time wow. the season starts since Calvin Ridley has played in an NFL game. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see him get off to kind of a slow start, but uh, if he, if, and when he gets back up to speed, we remember how good he was during his time with the Falcons. And I think that exactly is what people are sort of banking on. But I do think Trevor Lawrence is a huge winner in all of this because this Me offense too. is going to have so many weapons and, and, we saw them come to life at the end of last year where it looked like the light bulb came on for Lawrence and he was really spreading the ball around. So this only helped him. Would you draft him as a top five quarterback next year? Um, Probably not top five, but I, I have I keep saying there's a top eight. Like, I think the top three is Allen, Mahomes, Hurts. Then there's Burrow. Uh, you could put Lawrence, Fields, Lamar Jackson. Uh, and I might be forgetting someone, but then, and to me, like those are the quarterbacks that I want to pay up to get, and I'll take any of them in the first six rounds. It's random here. I'm just thinking. I'm, I'm thinking out loud. Where do you put Deshaun Watson in that? He was awful last year. Admittedly, was awful at the end of last year. Looked like a guy who hadn't played football in a really long time. Hard to believe he won't get better and won't get a little bit more comfortable. Does he slide into the top ten based on what he can be? Uh, I think you can put him. Oh, Justin Herbert was the one I was forgetting okay. that I put in the top eight. <laughs> Watson would come behind all of eight of those for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Watson belongs in this, the whatever you want to make it, the second or third tier, however you divide the top eight. He belongs in there with like Geno Smith, Daniel Jones, uh, Jared Goff, 
I think he is more upside, by far the most upside of any of those bunches. So I I very well might rank him like QB9 after what I say is the top eight. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there needs like he shouldn't be going like right after the top eight. Like if you if he goes a few picks after Herbert or Lawrence or whoever is the eighth quarterback, to me that would signify a pretty big drop off. I'm I'm curious to see how this goes because it only takes one person to fall oh, in love yeah. and and make that move and, and reach for him. But I think I think Deshaun Watson is going to be one of those guys. We talk a lot about this offseason. Just from a football standpoint, for the moment, we'll leave all the other things aside. But just football-wise. Football-wise, he could easily be one of the best quarterbacks. I mean, he was before all this happened. And there's certainly no reason to think he can't get back to what that was, uh, again, with the the Cleveland Browns coming up this year. Take a quick break. We'll come back. We will dive into the combine and give you our look at wide receivers and tight ends in free agency. Still plenty left to do here on this edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Podcast. So the NFL scouting combine wrapped up over the weekend in Indianapolis. And you and I sort of talked about it briefly last week that before the combine wasn't really much to kind of focus on. It was like, hey, how tall will this guy be and how fast will that guy be? And there wasn't much actionable. Now we've seen the guys go through the drills, go through the testing, all that sort of thing, and have an idea of what the hype, what the buzz is going to be. Two guys at the quarterback position absolutely put on a show. Maybe the biggest one was Anthony Richardson, who people thought was going to be kind of a raw prospect, was an athletic freak when it came to testing, 40 times, all that sort of thing. C.J. Stroud was, as advertised, incredibly accurate throwing the football. Richardson, about a month ago, was the QB4 in this group. You had Bryce Young, you had C.J. Stroud, you had Will Levis, and then you had Anthony Richardson. Now there's talk that Richardson could be the number one overall pick. That's how much he impressed people this past weekend in Indianapolis. When you're talking about dynasty rookie drafts right now, who is your QB1 at the moment? For fantasy, it it has and always will be Anthony Richardson for me. Ooh, okay. um, I, I just think that... I'm not high on Will Levis at all. Okay. Um, I, I think he's clearly fourth of this bunch. To me, Anthony Richardson has the most upside. CJ Stroud is the safest, and Bryce Young is somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, but you talk about like like the best example I could use for why Anthony Richardson is my QB one is Justin Fields from last year. He was the worst, and it wasn't close, the worst quarterback in pass EPA last year. He threw in a full season. For 2,242 yards and 15, uh, 17 touchdowns, that's one passing touchdown per game or just about. And yet he was the QB six overall and the QB five in points per game because of what he gave you with his legs. And I think Anthony Richardson is even more of a runner than Justin Fields could be. He is Cam like the second coming of Cam Newton, it, it really <laughs> is. So. Anything that he gives you with his arm is just the cherry on top. Young and Stroud, while I think they're right now better real-life quarterbacks than than Richardson, they're both mobile, but they're not mobile in the sense that, like, hey, we're going to run for close to 1,000 yards in a season. They're more like we're going to stretch the play with our legs and keep our eyes downfield and look to make a play. Um, But for fantasy purposes, you want the guy that can run, which is Anthony Richardson. That, I think, is the reason. I think that's certainly the reason – Teams are 
excited about him. I think it's just the raw collection of talent and the fact that they hope they can sort of mold him into something. I think it's definitely the reason that people in fantasy are super excited about him because we don't need him to be a great passer. Not right away. If he can rush for 800 yards and throw for another 2,000, 2,500, you're talking about a guy who's a top 12 quarterback right now. And I do think that's why as I, as I sit here and kind of talk myself through it, I mean, I was sort of leaning towards C.J. Stroud, but as I talk myself through it, maybe it is Richardson. Maybe he really is that, that QB1. For, for real life, I, I think right now, if you ask me, my, I think C.J. Stroud is probably in the running to be – it's him or Young, obviously, mm-hmm. but for fantasy, I think Richardson – yeah, I agree with you. Like, I, I think fantasy is different than real life. It definitely is different than real life, and I think, I think, I think he is the guy because we want that sort of upside. I think Justin Fields is a great – uh, great example of that. I think Trey Lance is another example yeah. of that. A guy that we knew was raw, hadn't played a ton of games. And I think the difference is with Anthony Richardson, he's played a little bit more than Lance did, and he's played a higher level of competition than Lance did. Playing in the SEC, playing that level of talent as opposed to you know playing at an FCS school, we at least have some sort of idea of the level of talent he's playing against. So maybe he really is that guy. And I'm curious to see if down the road um, – there are holes there. I, I don't think we can argue that. There are definitely holes there in terms of his actual football uh, ability. But can a coach and a coaching staff sort of mold him the way we've seen to some extent with Josh Allen to Jalen Hurts, that guy who was a raw passer who's gotten a lot better at it in the, the last couple of years? I, I know people throw out the low completion percentage, but it's like, did you look at Lamar's completion percentage in college, Josh Allen? Uh, the list goes on. Like, you can improve. I, for a while, it was like, you cannot improve that. And then yeah. we realized, like, no, you can. You got to change your... And, like, I think Anthony Richardson has stuff to work on. He's got to change his work on his footwork, his throwing motion a little bit. What I think people are getting lost in is they see Anthony Richardson and they're having flashbacks to Malik Willis. And the difference is, one, Malik Willis did not test anywhere close. Like, Anthony Richardson is the best test athletic tester since Cam Newton at the court. Like, he runs faster than CeeDee Lamb. He jumps higher than Devontae Adams. He's bigger than George Kittle. And he plays quarterback. Um, (laughs) But also, like, he played at a much higher level than Malik Willis. He comes with a lot. Like, he's raw. But, like, Malik Willis was getting sacked almost every play in Liberty and couldn't throw to the middle of the field. And it was a lot like, yes, he very much so is a project, but the tools are there. Anthony Richardson is less of a project and even more toolsier than Malik Willis was a year ago. I think he definitely is. And I know we all fell in love with Malik Willis. I have a dynasty roster with Malik Willis, and I don't know what to do about it. Uh, <laughs> he, I think he's going to start at least half the games this year for the Titans. You're probably right, but you know how good is that going to be? What, what we saw of him last year was... Gah. Left a lot <laughs> yeah, to be desired. <laughs> so so we'll see how that goes. Uh, at running back, Bijan Robinson came into the weekend as the consensus number one running back. He left the weekend as the consensus number one running back. I don't think anything really happened to change anybody's mind. He, he tested well. He did well at all the drills. Uh, Jameer Gibbs, though, was a guy who did, I think, open a lot of eyes in terms of what he can do. But in terms of Robinson... Rookie drafts. Is he the 1.01? Is that too high? Or are we looking at a quarterback there? I, I think he's the 1.01. Um, Bijan Robinson, he's a generational talent. Probably the, I would say the best running back talent to come out since Saquon. And Next Gen Stats has this cool tool. You've probably seen me tweeting about it if you follow me, where they take your college production, who it came against, and your athletic testing, and they give you an overall prospect score. He received a 96 
that's since 2003, which is far back as it goes, that's tied with Saquon Barkley and Brees Hall for the second best score they've ever given a running back. Wow. Only Jonathan Taylor was higher. So he's an elite company. I, I think he's the 1.01. The only competition, in my opinion, is the player who tied with him for most missed tackles forced on a per-touch basis in college, which was Anthony Richardson. And it would have to be <laughs> a super flex league for me to even consider it. So Bijan Robinson, you mentioned Saquon. That's where the comparisons are right now. Saquon Barkley, uh, Christian McCaffrey a little bit, though. He's, he's bigger physically uh, than McCaffrey is. But... I think that says a lot in terms of this is a guy that people are expecting can walk in immediately, be a three down back, be a contributor in the passing game, which is important now when you're talking about fantasy running backs that you're willing to spend a high draft pick on. Does this guy contribute to the passing game? Can he catch the football? And and I think what's important to, to remember is. We talk about contributing to the passing game. This isn't, you know, you're not lining this guy up out wide and having him, you know, run post patterns or whatever but can he run a decent route out of the backfield can he run a curl can he run you know those sorts of things can he run the wheel route and be effective and catch the football Bijan can do that and I think that is what's going to have people excited about him so I wouldn't I wouldn't mind taking him at the 101 I think obviously some of it depends on what your needs are dynasty wise super flex yeah, it's probably Anthony Richardson <laughs> at this point, just because that's just how it works. How One it good thing with Bijan, I think, is he's not going to go top 10 or something like that. Like, Mm-mm. he could very well fall into a very good offense immediately. He could. It's funny, too, because I think all the scouts look at him and say he is a top 10 talent, mm-hmm. but the analytics of drafting say you don't spend a top 10 pick on a running back. It just is not what's going to happen. So, um, He's going to be sort of penalized in terms of his position, but everybody's going to look at him and say, yeah, this dude's a talent. He's going to be a playmaker. He's going to be an impact player regardless of where he goes. If he falls late, I mean, we could see a team like the Bills or the Eagles or maybe the Chiefs. They've they've already done it in the past where they've taken a running back round one. Like, he goes to an offense like that. We're talking about this guy being not in not the one out of one in rookie drafts, like a first round pick, I think, in just regular fantasy. Yeah, you mentioned the Eagles, too. And going to step outside of our building here. Uh, Matthew Barry wrote a really interesting column for uh, NBC Sports Edge about the 23 things he heard at the combine. And one of them was that the Eagles really act as though they want to find somebody that they can make into a workhorse that they wouldn't mind giving somebody most of the opportunities. They just didn't feel like Miles Sanders was that guy. Ooh, Bijan Robinson in Philadelphia. <laughs> Man. That would be so much fun. That would be so much fun. Uh, wide receiver-wise, it's a class that I don't know has a lot of depth. Um, people talk about the guy sort of at the top. Quentin Johnston's a name that, that has come up a lot. Uh, Jordan Addison, who I'm going to, you know, as a Trojan, going to always be sort of rooting <laughs> for right there. Uh, fight on for sure for, for Jordan Addison. Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State was a name that people sort of forgot about because he was hurt most of last year dealing with a hamstring injury. I think played in just three games for the Buckeyes, but came out and looked really good in drills, blew everybody away with the three cone. There was nobody close to him at the wide receiver position. And now it looks like he could be the number one wide receiver drafted. But I guess back to my original point. Not to take anything away from him, but are we dealing with a wide receiver class that just isn't going to be as deep as we've seen recently? Yeah, especially because in, in the last couple of years, we've been insanely spoiled with the wide receiver talent. Maybe that's, that's it, coming too, out. Right? Like, 
Like in one class, we had Jamar Chase, Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle. Like Amon Ross St. Brown went in the fourth round. Like, <laughs> it, like that class was insane. La- like the last three years have just really, really spoiled us. I don't think it's anywhere that deep, and nor do I think there's the elite game changers in, in this class. But JSN is my wide receiver one by far. Uh, he he's led in the last two years of draft eligible receivers. He led them in yards per route run and catch rate. He played two years ago with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and Marvin Harrison Jr. and had the best numbers of that <laughs> bunch. And I know people want to knock him because he's a slot guy, but it's like, do you not watch the modern NFL? Like slot receivers are game changers now. And I think he can is the, the next one of that breed. Also, I wouldn't just lock him into immediately being only a slot receiver. I remember a couple years ago when people said, ah, Justin Jefferson, he's just a yeah. slot receiver. And I don't know. He's been pretty good. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there. So maybe there's something else for JSN to be uh, besides just that. And look, you also got to factor in, he probably played the slot a lot because of the other guys you mentioned there at Ohio State when you've got Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and you just want to get him on the field. You got to put him somewhere. And so he learned to thrive there. I think there's a chance for him to go on and do something else too. But I'm, I, I am curious because... A lot of the other receivers didn't necessarily blow people away at the combine. I know for Addison, I think his 40 time was a little bit slower than people anticipated. They're also worried about his size. That part kind of makes me laugh because he's 5'11", 173. I went and looked just to compare, just to be sure. Devonta Smith is 5'11", 170, right? And I'm I'm not going to say that, that Addison is Devonta Smith. But in terms of size, like he's figured out how to be successful at that size. It's funny you bring that up because when I watched uh, Jordan Addison's like a couple of his games, I tweeted, I said, I'm not saying he's going to be this good, but he reminds me so much of Devonta Smith. Just a smaller guy in, in stature who knows how to get open and knows how to be the consistent with his hands. Concern that I have, and you're the perfect person to ask this. What happened when he went to you? Like, why did his numbers fall off so much? I, I think some of it was just that SC had a lot of wide receivers there. They had a lot of depth at wide receiver, um, probably more than they had at Pitt when he was there. And That's so fair. that had a lot to do with it. He did have some injuries. I know he missed the last couple of games with some injuries, too. So that had something to do with it. Um, but I think in terms of just playmaking ability, uh, there's nothing. <laughs> there's nothing I was worried I, about. I, I watched games from his Pitt year and from USC, and I was like, they, it looks like the same player to me. I just yeah. was curious what the the change that led he, to the downward. He did numbers. have some nagging injuries, and they just they had a lot of guys to get the football to, and so they they were able to spread it around, and that that definitely took something away from from his overall production. Ne- next year, you'll enjoy talking about the draft because we already know who's going to be the one. Well, one Caleb in that Williams, one. Right, right now, <laughs> over here, barring anything weird, looks like he's going to be the the one oh one oh one in the NFL draft next year. So yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, I just I just want Alex Grinch to figure out defense. That's all. <laughs> Sorry, I'm flashing back to the Cotton Bowl against Tulane, and I have a sad because our defense was trash last year. All right, so that's the combine. By the way, I didn't even get to the tight ends. I know there's you know I know that rookie tight ends don't necessarily make a huge dent in fantasy, but I will say 
This is a tight end class that everybody who's watched it is really, really high on. I know Daniel Jeremiah has said this is the deepest tight end class uh, that he has seen in a really, really long time. And a lot of those guys tested really well this weekend as well. Um, Let's turn our attention to free agency as we get ready to wrap things up. That's kind of filling out the series that we've been doing the last few weeks and wanted to combine the wide receivers and the tight ends. A lot of names out there. Not a lot that immediately jump out at you. When you talk about the guys who are likely to be courted very heavily, Jacoby Myers, who very well could get the bag, DJ Chark, who I think is going to get a lot of run. And I'll throw one more name in there because there's a lot of buzz right now about Alan Lazard. No. Nope. <laughs> all right, there you go. <laughs> so then I'm going to just go back to what I actually asked you. Who would you rather between Myers and Chark if Alan Lazard is automatically a nope? My, my thing with Alan Lazard is like he had his opportunity last year to be a wide receiver one with a back-to-back MVP. Uh, and then he just got overshadowed by a rookie. I'm not giving Alan Lazard a bunch of money. Um, <laughs> who would you rather, Jacoby Myers or, or Chark? Uh, it's kind of a cop-out. I, All things being equal, I'd rather Jacoby Myers. Mm-hmm. But their skill sets are so different that it would depend on the need. Um, I think, again, if you need a possession guy or just – I think Jacoby Myers could easily be what Christian Kirk was, a guy who changes teams and ends up putting up big numbers. Uh, and everyone's like, oh, my God, where did this come from? But he's not a field stretcher at all. And if you're a team – like, say, like the Chiefs or someone like that. I, I think DJ Chark fits them better than Jacoby Myers would because they need that player who could take the top off the defense and be a field stretcher. And DJ Chark has shown us that he is very, very good at doing that. I think everything you said is absolutely correct. I still think I lean toward Myers just because I feel like he gives you a more well-rounded skill set, even if he's not that field stretcher, that he does so many things well. And this is a guy who was undrafted and made himself into the best receiver they had in New England the last couple of years. And I think that counts for something, especially when you look at who he's had throwing him the football. Because his rookie year was Tom Brady's last year in New England. He was just starting to get on the field and sort of get his feet wet in terms of the NFL. And then after that, he had a broken down Cam Newton. And then he's had two years of Mac Jones. So he hasn't really had a lot of great quarterbacks throwing him the football. And I guess to like last season, he had a defensive coordinator calling his plays. Yeah, so. defensive coordinator calling his plays on top of that. So uh, I think when you take all that into account, he's the guy that I would prefer out of the two. But I, I think I think your point is valid that there are teams that just need somebody who can be that lid lifter like and can the Chargers. get field. If I'm the Chargers, I'd rather DJ Chark than Jacoby Myers. Absolutely. Because I think if you, especially if they are committed to Keenan Allen, which is what it sounds like, um, I don't know that Jacoby Myers adds anything to yeah. you when you need speed in that wide receiver room. DJ Chark can be that guy. But looking at the rest of this free agency field, right? Some of the other names of note, Juju Smith-Schuster, Darius Slayton, uh, Marvin Jones, Robert Woods. Is there anybody out there that you look at that can be more than a wide receiver three or can even be that much at this point? I, I, I know he's we're kind of sick of him by now, but I feel like Juju Smith-Schuster still could be more than a three uh, or at least I think he's the best three of this of, of all the rest. Odell Beckham Jr.'s name keeps getting thrown out there, and I'm like, why? Like, <laughs> I, I think he is exactly that, like a three at this point. How how old is Odell now? He's 31, I think. Okay, he's 30. Okay, he's younger than I thought. He'll be but, 31 
late this season. But he's coming off of two knee injuries. He already was declining when we like. I think he could be a really good field, uh, like possession receiver, mm-hmm. move the chains type of guy. But I don't think he could be like a, a a difference maker like he was in past years. Juju's the only one really. After that, though, it, it gets pretty ugly pretty fast. Uh, with like someone's gonna give Alan Lazard way more money than than I think I would want to give. Um. Robert Woods is is more of a name at this point, I think, than than anything. Uh, I, I this receiving class is it's pretty. Is this is this, this wide Michael receiver. Hardman. He's gonna get paid, I think. Uh, why? Because <laughs> he's fast. That's I mean, the only reason. Because I think I think when you talk about Juju and you talk about Miko Hardman, they sort of fit in the same boat in the sense that. They were on a roster last year that was looking for other options after Travis Kelsey, and neither of them really locked in that role. I mean, you saw how many guys were involved in the passing game, right? It was Kelsey there in Kansas City, and then a whole lot of other guys getting opportunity. I mean, they brought in Kadarius Toney at the end of the year and gave him opportunities. There was, uh, you know, we saw Sky Moore make some plays in the Super Bowl. MVS was able to make some plays down the stretch last season. Jerick McKinnon ended up being a big part of the passing game There were so many guys that they spread the ball around to, which is great for Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. It makes them hard to defend. It sucks for us because we can't figure out where to go. And I think that sort of works against Juju. I think it works against Miko Hardman. I mean, I guess Juju's a wide receiver three in the right situation, but I feel like that's kind of his ceiling. And he does seem to be the best of the rest after you get past Myers and Chark and I guess Lazard. Ugh. Is there a more outlier of a season than that 2018 Juju Smith-Schuster season now? It's hard to believe, right? I mean, (laughs) he hasn't gone for a thousand in any other season since then. And it's funny because, you know, after Antonio Brown left and he sort of threw some shade on Juju. And I think I think at the time, at least I looked at it as that being a B and sour grapes and him being a B. But. Just because you're crazy doesn't mean you're wrong, right? <laughs> he was 100% right. And he was 100% right because he had 1,400 yards in, in 2018. He hasn't had, like this past year, he had 933, which has been the highest number since then. Hasn't really sniffed 1,000 yards since that one season. So, yeah. And I, I don't want to get in, you know, off the field stuff, but like Juju with all his anti, and he's not a bad guy at all, mm-hmm. but people just get annoyed by his off the field antics. Right. Like, <laughs> At some point, a team's going to be like, I don't want to deal with TikTok boy and right. them all. which I don't know if you saw his two and a half minute TikTok on his reply for TikTok boy. No. <laughs> At first, I was like, this was terrible. And then I watched it a second time and I was like, OK, this was actually pretty well thought out. I mean, look, he he's great on social media. He definitely knows how to connect with folks on social media. But I think you're sort of right that he doesn't give you enough on the field for teams to be yeah. like, I, I, you know, I want to I don't want to. And deal then. With this. You know, he's calling out like James Bradbury and it's like he's a way better player than you. Yeah. Uh, maybe don't do that. Don't do that. And then, yeah, I know I started a whole little thing with A.J. Brown on the socials and that whole thing. So, you know, I just don't see anybody really getting a huge bag in free agency. I think the guys that ended up getting that will end up getting the most will be Myers and Chark. And if, you know, these whispers are to be believed, maybe somebody throws a decent chunk of money at Alan Lazard. But there's just nobody else here that I think. Um, is going to get a huge payday coming up this offseason. Quickly about tight ends before we wrap this thing up. The Jaguars are expected to franchise tag Evan Ingram. I don't believe that has happened officially yet, but I think all signs point to that. 
being the case. Anybody else out there at the tight end position that really catches your eye? Because again, this this doesn't feel like a position that uh, again is going to make a whole lot of noise when free agency opens in a week. Uh, Dalton Schultz, I think, is the the biggest name out there. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm hoping. I think best case is he goes back to Dallas, but that's looking like that might not be the case. I still think Mike Gesicki, as much as I was the low guy on him this past year, like I, there's talent there if he ends up in the right situation. And then I'm never going to quit Irv Smith Jr. So <laughs> Irv Smith Jr. ends up in the right spot, I will be excited. By the way, let me correct myself. The Jaguars have officially announced that they will franchise tag Evan Ingram. So that is that is going to be done. Um, not a surprise. We all expected that to come. I do think Dalton Schultz is an interesting piece. I think, though, we may have seen him kind of hit his ceiling. I think I think I don't know that he's going to give you much more than what we've seen the last couple of years, but can be a productive option. Uh, I think for Mike Gasicki, he has to go to a place where they're willing to use him primarily as a pass catcher, because last year with Mike McDaniel there in Miami, they wanted him to be more of a blocker and. Yeah, that wasn't really his strength on top of it. Adding Tyreek Hill to go along with Jalen Waddell meant there were fewer targets to go around for him. So he's got to be somewhere where that's just going to be his job. You line up maybe as a big slot receiver and you run routes and you catch the football because that's really where his value is going to be. Beyond that, I don't think we're going to see any major tight end moves that, that make a splash. I've heard some rumors that maybe somebody... Uh, you know, that Robert Tunyon may draw some interest. We'll see if Austin Why? Hooper draws any interest. I, I'm hoping Austin Hooper goes anywhere but the Titans because I'm excited for Oconquo and I want to see what he can be as the starting tight end. So the Titans, you're already in getting rid of everyone. Don't mess this up. Yeah, let's 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 let Chig cook. Let's let Chig Oconquo like cook. That'll that'll be that'll be kind of interesting. I kind of want Mercedes Lewis to sign somewhere so he can catch his annual touchdown. Whoever it has to be has to be somebody who's playing in in London because he just is a beast whenever they go to London. So check your schedules, NFL teams. If you're going to London, make an offer to Mercedes Lewis. He's got to get to like year twenty at this point. I always say this: Mercedes Lewis um, played in high school against Maurice Jones-Drew. They played in college together at UCLA. They were drafted in the same year. Maurice, we love you. You've been our co-worker for a <laughs> while, though, now. And Mercedes Lewis is still playing NFL football. I've been here for five years, and MJD's been here way longer than me. So, so he's been, yeah, he's been, a, he's been my co-worker for a, for a minute now. And Mercedes Lewis <laughs> still doing his thing in the NFL, man. So I just want to see how long, how long he can make this happen. Uh, that will be incredibly interesting. So that was a lot. And we'll have a whole lot next week because free agency hits next Wednesday. So we'll be back with you next Friday. We're going to wait a couple of days. We'll see some of the movement that happens. We'll take note of that. And then we'll come back at you next Friday with uh, our takes on what this means fantasy-wise with a lot of the player movement that's happened. And uh, hopefully in a couple of weeks, we'll be able to get back to Florio's Film Festival as well. Face-off still on tap. I want to take his face (laughs) off. Can't wait for I can't wait for Florio to read that, to see that line and just giggle uh, in his in his apartment when he does that. But uh, that'll do it for this edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Podcast. Stay happy, safe and healthy. Do good and live well. Enjoy the weekend, everybody. And we'll talk to you next week.
Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain on limited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander.